morning, Parkside Bible Fellowship. What a beautiful Sunday morning. Yes, I got the cue. I think they're working on it. Good morning. We are just so excited to be here this morning. Um, our first Sunday of just one service. Amen. And it's nice to be together. Um, and I'm bringing the announcements this morning. And so I hope you guys all got this. First of all, if you are visiting today, we just want to say thank you. We, you are, um, we're glad that you're here. In the foyer out there is a little half round table. It's our welcome center. Um, there's some information that you can grab about what our church is about and what is going on. Um, sorry. <laughs> My husband thinks he's funny. But I did laugh, so it was a good one. I'll give him that one. So just inside here, a couple of things we just want to point out this morning. Um, youth is having a summer barbecue, and that looks like it's tonight at the Morrison, so you can check that out. Um, Awana is going to try and get kicked back in start, and there's a leaders meeting that's going on. Um, that information's just right inside the first page here. Um, there's also right after church today is a car wash. And even if you just got it washed yesterday, come. It's a fundraiser for a family. <laughs> hey, just drive by and toss money in their jar. I'm sure this is a good fundraiser for um, Clint Weaver and his family. Um, it, it's just going to serve a great purpose. And it's just great for us to all be here and start showing our love again after um, being in our homes forever. Um, and also on the pink one, ladies, we're going to have a dessert and devotion, and we're going to hold it outside in um, the courtyard out there coming up. Um, it's August 21st. It's a Friday night. A um, couple of things. If you could RSVP to the church office, that would be absolutely wonderful. And if you would happen to need a ride or you know somebody that would need some encouragement to get a ride, just call the office. We'll get you plugged in. Um, we just want to be able to have um, a good time of just women hanging out. And um, sorry, guys, yours is coming in September. So <laughs> um, anyway, welcome, and let's worship together now. Thank you, Deb. It's sure good to see you, as Deb mentioned, and we'd like to ask you to stand with us for the opening of our service, reading scripture together. Uh, so let's read it loud and clear. Psalm 105, 1 through 4. Ready? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Psalm 105, 1 through 4. Why does it tell us to seek the Lord continually? You and I wander continually. We need him. We need him every day. We need his grace every day. Uh, we're so prone to trust in other things of, that this world offers. So let's be a people that keep our focus on the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you to say how great you are. There is no one like you. You alone are God and you reign. And Lord, we, we want to be a people that are joining together in rejoicing in how great you are, in rejoicing in your salvation, in rejoicing in who you are and your great work. Thank you for our time together, Lord. 
be glorified in my life and in the lives of each one here. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you uh, here this morning. Um, our missionary moment for this week, uh, we want to focus on uh, Patty Lappin. And uh, many of us uh, have known Patty for a number of years, and she is uh, uh, continuing to serve as the uh, a missionary in the Salt Lake City area. And, uh, uh, you know, in this strange time in which we live, you know, we kind of have to adjust how we do things because of, uh, yeah, the, the virus and all that means. And, and so Patty would ask uh, our prayers as uh, she conducts, uh, you know, Zoom clubs. And some of us know what Zoom is. That's kind of an online way to get together. It's kind of virtual. You see everybody on the screen. You're not actually uh, together, but it's as close as, uh, as possible sometimes. And so Patty's... Uh, doing uh, Zoom clubs, and so we want to be in prayer for that. She's also uh, doing party clubs out in the park every week. And, uh, you know, a big question mark, it would seem at this time that the schools may not allow after-school clubs. And that, might, you know, that might be the case. And so we would want to pray that, you know, that there would be a turnaround in the thoughts uh, and the whole situation that there could be, that uh, there could be good news clubs in the schools uh, this year. And so we wanna, we wanna be praying for that. Um, so, speaking of that, as we get ready to go to prayer, First um, Peter chapter five, verse seven says that we are, are to cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. And that phrase, because he cares for us, literally is translated because it matters to him concerning us. And that's an interesting way to phrase it, I think. Uh, to me, that's more, that's more meaning. It, it matters to him. It's not that, just he, that he kind of has a, a, a passing interest, if you will. It matters to him. It's really important to him. And, and so, you know, we need to bear that in mind, you know, because it's, uh, you know, too often, I live by the motto, why pray when I can worry, you know? And, and of course, that's really the wrong way to look at it, but that's kind of the way many of us kind of do. Our first default 
setting us to worry and not pray. Uh, but that's wrong, and we need to work on that. And we need to know it because it matters to him concerning us. It's important to him. And so uh, as we go to prayer, we ought to keep that in mind. It's important to him. And there's some very weighty things on our list today. And uh, many of you are aware uh, of that situation with Melissa Hamilton. And the Hamilton family, military family, that were with us for a number of years, and uh, Melissa had cancer while she was here. And, and so she struggled with that uh, for some years now. I don't know exactly. I've lost track. I, I can't keep. When I think something is five years ago, it was ten. You know, that's what happens when we get older, you know. It, uh, it, uh, it, 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 our, my sense of timing is not right, but it's a number of years ago, and since then, the, the whole family moved back to Tennessee and so on, and Melissa got the news that she now has cancer in her brain. And uh, so, it's very serious. Any cancer is serious, we understand that, but even more so since it's a returning cancer and, and so on. And so you know, she's going to have a spinal tap and a test there to determine if the cancer is in her spine. And so we want to be praying about that. We also want to be praying for Jenny Gray. She, Jenny does not go to Parkside. She's been a member of this community. She was born in Fallon, raised here. And, and Jenny has been fighting cancer uh, for a couple years now. And her situation is dire as well. So we want to be praying for her. Um, you know, others, we see that Sam Wickheiser is uh, going to have a surgery to remove a tumor from his kidney. Uh, this is not good news. You know, we would pray that that, that would yield the best possible result. And uh, we also uh, got word that Fran Lasur was taken into the hospital to stay overnight, running some tests. Don't know exactly uh, what's going on there, but we want to be praying for Fran as well. And so um, as we go to prayer, we, we remember these people, and we want to continue to pray throughout our week and bring it before God continually. And pray for Brennan as he, as, as he uh, speaks this morning. I pray for, for God's anointing of Brennan as he talks to us and delivers us God's word. And so join me, please, in prayer now. Father, we are grateful that uh, our lives matter to you. It's of concern to you. And the least little thing uh, is of interest to you and does not escape your, uh, your sight or your concern. And, you know, from the smallest subatomic particle to the vastness of our universe, you are there. And, uh, and you are actively working all around us and in us. Thank you for that. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that it, it matters to you. And uh, so we want to bring these dear people that we've mentioned, Melissa Hamilton, Jenny Gray, uh, Sam Wickheiser, Fran, uh, these people have have uh, various degrees of very serious problems, and 
And there are many others in, that we know, that we love, that we care for, that uh, have ongoing, you know, it's, it, maybe it's not this dramatic uh, crisis that's, uh, you know, uh, of mortal danger right at this moment, but have been dealing with chronic disease, chronic pain, chronic conditions that they battle day in and day out. And so uh, we want to bring those people before you as well. We ask that you uh, would work in this situation. For, particularly for the Hamilton family, we would pray that uh, you would be close to this family at this time, that they would sense you and your presence and your love for them, and that you would work. And that uh, however this turns out, we pray that uh, you'd be merciful to them, you'd give them peace and, uh, you know, a relief from pain. We pray for Jenny Gray as well. We pray for Sam as he has this procedure, uh, for Fran as well. And, uh, Father, uh, above all, um, we want to pray for the eternal condition of those that uh, we love, particularly those around us in our families, in our workplace, our schools, those that are lost, that do not know the perilous condition that they are in, that uh, they are on the, on the precipice, and, uh, and they need to turn to you and turn to your son and rest in him and trust in him. Um, and we pray for that. We also want to pray for our country right now. Um, we sense that there is an a, a ongoing emergency in our, in our entire country. Our, uh, our leaders don't have any concept of wisdom. Uh, they are wise in their own eyes, and they have no fear of you. And, and you, your word tells us fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of understanding, uh, and being in wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And, and we would pray that they would acknowledge that they need wisdom, that they don't have it and they need help. And as we see our country, the decisions being made and, and, and so on, and we, we shake our head and we are concerned. We are concerned for it. And so we want to pray for our leaders and, and our country, the people in and through our country that would um, understand that they need a Savior, understand that they don't know it all, uh, understand that they, they need wisdom and they need salvation. And there, so there would be great revival in this nation. And people all over this country would bow the knee to you and confess your Son as Lord. And so we do pray for that. And we pray today right now for Brennan as he speaks to us. Bless him, we pray, and anoint his words. And we just uh, know that you hear us and know that you love us and care in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, as our singers come back, we're going to sing. We just wanted to say again how good it is to be together like this. Uh, thank you for remembering to use common sense. I think that's one of the most helpful lines I've heard. Just use common sense in these times. Obviously, we're not going to be passing a plate uh, here this morning or for the, I don't know how long. But uh, thank you for your faithful giving over these months. Uh, we can attest to that in the office. Uh, and if you're planning on giving here, you can put your gift in the box there between the doors and the love offering plate out in the hallway in the foyer you know when it all boils down it comes down to you and I continuing to walk by faith in all that's going on 
I'd like to read this passage and then we'll sing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if our if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we all are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And He is pleased when you and I respond in faith. Whatever the situation, trust Him. Let's stand together and let's continue our singing.
time our children may be dismissed for children's church you may be seated well good morning it's uh, great to be with you today and um, we are glad that you are here with us. It's a blessing to be together. Uh, we are going to be in Romans chapter 9 today. So while you're turning in your Bibles there, we will read from verses 6 through 13 for our passage this morning. And while you're turning there, I wanted to uh, just bring up a couple things. Uh, first of all, a reminder, because I may forget this after the service. I very often do that, that after the service, we're having the car wash. And uh, I understand that is to the west. That's this direction as I recall. So we will, uh, there'll be the, the fundraiser car wash over there after the service. And also something that we normally do, but kind of have not done for a while because of 
what's going on with COVID and whatnot. Um, we normally have a family to be up front to pray with you. If you have a prayer request, something you need to bring and have prayed for, if you have a concern, if you have a praise, uh, you want to pray with someone, there'll be a family up here after the service is over to uh, pray with you. So I would encourage you that direction. And uh, I will try to remember at the end, but no guarantees there. So again, we are in Romans chapter 9, and we're continuing our way through this chapter. And a couple of weeks ago, we went through the entirety of the chapter to look at the overview. And now we are going to dig into these verses 6 through 13 of Romans chapter 9. Let's read together. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we rejoice that we get to be together and come together in this way into your, your presence. Father, we, we worship you this morning. We enter right into the holy places in heaven because of Christ, having gained access because of him. And we worship you. We give you honor. We bow down before you. We declare that you alone are God and there is none like you. And, and we get to be called your children. So we worship you and we praise you this morning for what you've done for us in Christ. That you've given us access to your presence. That we get to come and worship in truth and in spirit. We praise you that you have given us your word. That you've communicated to us what you would have us know about you and about us and about how we can know you. Father, we praise you that you've given us your word, that you have spoken to us. And we pray this morning as we come to a passage that can be difficult to understand, can be difficult to, to fit in with some of our thinking, perhaps. We ask that you would be at work by your spirit in us to see what you have for us today, that we would see your purpose at work in all of Scripture and in this passage. So we ask that you would work in us by your Spirit even now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of questions come to mind that we need to establish as questions that will be discussed in Romans chapter 9 and particularly in the passage that we're looking at today. The first question is, 
Who gets the final say in salvation? Who gets the final say in salvation? And a very closely related question, who is in charge of determining who receives and who doesn't receive the saving blessings of God? Who's in charge of that? Determining who receives and who doesn't receive the saving blessings of God. Well, these are just a couple of the questions that will come up in our minds as we read through and work our way through Romans chapter 9. Paul will raise them and he will, he will answer them. And I believe the reason that he raises these, these hard questions is because Paul has been thinking about his fellow Jews. He's been thinking about his fellow Jews who don't believe in the Messiah, who are not Christians, who have not trusted Christ, but instead they've rejected the Messiah that the Father sent to them. And he's reflected here and he's reflected earlier on that they had every benefit, every privilege. They were given the law. They were given direct communication by God to them. They were given covenant promises. They were given blessings. They were given the worship. They were given the temple, God's very presence. They had every benefit, every privilege. And yet, for the most part, Paul says the the Jews have rejected the Messiah. For the most part, they stand separate from the fulfillment of these blessings. The majority have not believed in the Christ. Well, for those who are familiar with the Old Testament, that fact of so many Jews, in fact, the majority of Jews rejecting the Messiah, not believing in the Messiah, calls into question God's promise-keeping nature. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're, you're familiar with all the promises that God gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and, and to, to Moses and to David and, and others on down the line, the promises that he gave. And so this fact that Paul observes and his readers observe calls into question, is, is God not going to keep his promises? Is something wrong with the promises God made? And so that raises the question, will God keep his promises? And of course, for the critic of Paul's ministry, the one who's looking at Paul's ministry and wants to be critical of what he's saying, there are a couple of options. Paul, if what you're saying is true, if the gospel you proclaim is true and the majority of Jews have rejected it, Wouldn't that say that God's promises have failed? And of course, God's promises can't fail. Therefore, the critic would say, Paul, your gospel is false. Your gospel is false. Or, Paul, you are saying that God doesn't keep his word. And so that's the problem that is raised in these circumstances. He's proclaimed this gospel. He's preached it. He's explained it for chapters and chapters. And yet he says, but the majority of Jews don't believe it. So what then? What are we to do with God's promises? He says, it is not as though God's word has failed. Let's look at verses 6, 7, and 8. He says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but 
Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. First of all, not all Israel is Israel. These promises were made to Israel, but not all Israel is Israel. Not all who are descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are the true Israel. In other words, the promises are not automatically guaranteed to everyone who has that particular family. Paul is, in this one sentence, he is using the word Israel in two different ways. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In one sense, being descended from Israel means to be ethnically Jewish. That's what one meaning of it is, and yet not everyone who is ethnically Jewish, he would say, belongs to Israel. Now, he's not playing word games. He's not, uh, he's not trying to play fast and loose with the text or confuse us uh, or anything like that. He's distinguishing between two groups, one that he can call Israel and another that in another way he can call Israel. One group consists of those who have genetically descended from Jacob. This group can legitimately be called Israel. They are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's another group. So we have the genetic descendants over here. But there is another group that consists of those who share the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that group, he's going to say, can legitimately be called Israel also. So on the one side, you have genetic descendancy. You've got the family. On the other side, you have those who follow the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And of course, this isn't the first time in Romans that we've covered this. He's hit on this a couple of times before. He says in chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. He says, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, being a, an ethnic descendant of Jacob, does not qualify one to be a true Jew. There's a kind of Jewishness that he's talking about here. One is defined by the outward, whether it's circumcision, whether it's descendancy, whether it's the pedigree, it's an outward. But there is another type of Jewishness that is internal. It has to do with faith. It's a matter of the heart. It's by the spirit. It's not by the letter. It's an inward thing. And so you can, you can talk about someone being Jewish over here, and you can talk about someone being Jewish by faith, meaning they have the same faith as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of course, in chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12, he continues on the same notion, talking about the same topic. We read about Abraham who was declared righteous before God by faith before he ever received circumcision. So he was declared righteous. He was justified before circumcision. And Paul says in 4, 11 and 12, he says, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. 
and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. There, there are two groups who can truly claim Abraham as their father. One is the Gentile, the uncircumcised, who has faith. He has been justified by faith. And he can be considered a child of Abraham. You see what he said there. The purpose was to make Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So you can be a child of Abraham purely by faith and as a Gentile and, and counted as a child of Abraham. But there's a second group that he's talking about in this passage, and that is those who are circumcised, that is, those who are Jewish, but are not merely Jewish outwardly. They're not merely circumcised. They're not merely descended from Jacob, but they also follow in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. So in this instance, he's talking about a type of child of Abraham who's a child purely of faith with no connection genetically whatsoever, and a type of a child of Abraham who has the same faith and also happens to be related genetically. In other words, true sonship to Abraham is determined by faith and is not determined by anything external like circumcision or pedigree. And Paul summarizes in chapter 4 and verse 16 of Romans, he says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So he says, not all Israel is Israel. And he's going to say, not all offspring are seed. Verse 7, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. If you think about what seed means in the Bible, that's a very profitable and interesting Bible study, by the way. If you just take that word seed and, and uh, you have to do a little work because it's not always translated as seed in all the English versions consistently. So it takes maybe a little bit more digging. But, but you go all the way back. And you can go to Genesis 3.15, by the way, which is the gospel promise where immediately after the fall of mankind into sin, God makes the promise that, that he will send a seed of the woman who will redeem them. So all the way back in Genesis 3, you've got a discussion of the seed of the woman who's now going to bring redemption, which, of course, that seed of the woman, you begin to anticipate and wait for and expect all through the Old Testament. It ends up being Christ. He's the one who defeats the serpent. He's the one who, who crushes the head of the serpent at the cost of bruising his own heel. And so you have the promise of that seed who will deliver us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. But specifically as regards our discussion here, the promises God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and, and 15 and 17, God comes to Abraham, or Abram at the time, comes to him and says, To you and to your seed, I'm making this covenant and I'm going to give this land. To you and to your seed, to you and to your offspring, I'm going to make this covenant and I'm going to give this land. And of course, God would be more specific with Abraham in chapter 21 where he says, Through Isaac shall your seed be named. 
because Abraham had other children, but it would be through the one, it would be through the child of promise, through Isaac, that the seed would be named. And of course, that promise extends then through Isaac to Jacob. And so you have God declaring who the descendants are, who the seed is, who will be those who inherit that inheritance, those promises. And so here in the story of Abraham, if you read slowly through what's going on in Genesis 11 and 12 and and in other places, you read slowly and you think about what's going on. You have God, purely by an act of his sovereign choice, selecting Abraham of Ur of the Chaldees, whose name was Abram at the time. And we read elsewhere in Scripture that he was an idolater at the time. It wasn't like he was a faithful man, a faithful worshiper of Yahweh, and, and Yahweh came to him and said, yeah, good job, I'll choose you. No, by his sovereign election, he chose Abraham and decided, uh, chose, told him that he was going to give him these promises. And more than that, Abram was childless and he wasn't young and his wife wasn't young. And he makes these promises about what he's going to do out of all the families of the earth. He's going to bless Abram and his family with these promises. God continues that sovereign election by giving the blessings and the promises to Abram's seed and defining as he goes that that doesn't mean all offspring, but to the ones I will tell you. And that's because not all Israel is Israel and not all offspring are seed. And and in the conclusion, what he means is he's talking about the distinction of what it means to be a child of flesh versus a child of of promise, a child of flesh versus a child of promise. This is what is right at the heart of what Paul is arguing in this passage. What does it mean to be a child of the flesh versus a child of the promise? Well, we see this in other passages of Scripture. We see the same thing worked out in And this comes out in John chapter 8. We're not going to go and read it necessarily. I'm just going to read a few verses to you from it. But in that passage, in John chapter 8, Jesus is in conversation with some Jews. He had been preaching, and he's in conversation with them. And they they try to assert that they were right with God by virtue of the fact that they had Abraham as their father. They had Abraham as their father, and therefore they were right with God. They had always been free. They'd never been slaves because we have Abraham as our father. And this is what Jesus' response to them was. And this is in uh, verses 37 and following. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with, with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Now he's not calling into question whether they are or are not Jewish. He's not calling into question the legitimacy of their genetic connection to Jacob. That has nothing to do with what's going on. He's saying, 
oh, you claim to be the descendants of Abraham. You claim to have Abraham as your father, and yet you act nothing like him because Abraham believed God. No, no you're, you're acting more like the one who is your true father, the devil. And so, of course, you can imagine they were offended at that point, but he's trying to make clear to them that there is a distinction between, a chi- between being a child of the flesh and a child of promise. So there's a point of application for us here at this point. Your parents' faith is not a substitute for your faith. Your spouse's faith will not avail for you. The call of the gospel is for you to bow the knee before Jesus, to trust in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's part of what these people in John chapter 8 were missing, was that personal faith connection. You need to understand for yourself that you owe a penalty before God because of your own sin. And you, yourself, need a Savior. Not just your family, not just your spouse. You, yourself, need a Savior to, to save you from that wrath of God that you deserve because of your sin. And you personally need to look to Christ and trust in Him. And when you do, in Him you will find redemption and you will find forgiveness and you will find that penalty has been paid for and you don't owe it anymore. Being a child of the flesh is different than being a child of promise. And to demonstrate that further, Paul turns to God's history of choosing We continue in our chapter in verse 9. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also Rebekah, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, But because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So the first choice you have here is Ishmael or Isaac. Ishmael or Isaac. God had made a promise to Abram that he would have offspring. And later on he said, no, no, not just offspring, but I will make of you a great nation. If If you can count the stars of heaven, you can count your offspring. So Abram is expecting that he will have children. He's expecting that he will have offspring. And of course, that continues not to be the case. And so there comes a point where he thinks maybe it's going to be uh, someone from his household, Eliezer of Damascus, and maybe he's going to be the one who's going to inherit. And he's, uh, is he the one? Well, he was not the one. Well, then he continues childless. And, and at, at a certain point, his wife has the idea, well, I'm too old to have children. God said you're going to have children. Here, take Hagar, my handmaid, and she can be like a surrogate mother for me. And thus we can bear children together in this way. And so they go about that. She has a child and the child of that union is Ishmael. He's a son. Maybe he's the one. But that wasn't the heir. That wasn't the seed. And that's what these words mean when God says to him through Isaac, 
shall your offspring be named. He says, about this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. It's not, it's not your young son Ishmael, Abram, who's going to be the, the, the one who is the heir, the one who is the seed. It's not him. I'll be back in about a year and your wife will have a son. That is the seed. It was to be a son who had not even been conceived at the time he makes this statement. He would be the one who inherits the promises. Not a distant relative, not someone in his family, or not the child of, of human effort, who was Ishmael. It would be Isaac, the child of promise. So that's the first choice is between Ishmael and Isaac. And the second choice is between Esau or Jacob. Esau or Jacob. So when Isaac grew up, he was married and his wife conceived and she had had twins in her womb. And in Genesis 25 and verse 23, we read, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. That was contrary to tradition. You see, in those days, in this culture, the firstborn was the one who received the position of privilege, the blessings and all that went with it. And it would be the younger children who would then serve the older. But the promise made to Rebecca at this time was, no, that's not the way it's going to be. It will be the older who serves the younger, contrary to tradition. And of course, as you read the story of these two twins, it's, it's intriguing and it it's, uh, causes a little consternation as you watch Jacob and what he does. First of all, the younger son, Jacob, there comes a point where he offers food to his brother in exchange for the birthright. Well, that in itself is kind of tricksome and, and makes you wonder about Jacob. But then Esau takes the deal. And Esau sells his birthright for food. He makes that exchange and he gives the birthright, the birthright that the eldest had. This wasn't two equal portions and now Jacob has two or anything like that. What happened was Jacob and Esau exchanged Portions And Jacob received the larger portion as now essentially the eldest son. And then later on, of course, you've got that, that event where Jacob and his mother conspire to, uh, together to, to steal Isaac's blessing, which should go to the older. But he comes in through subterfuge and, and Isaac is blind in these days and all that. And, and it ends up that Jacob receives the blessing as well. So now Jacob, who's the younger, he has taken the, the birthright of the eldest and he has taken the blessing as well. And so by hook or by crook, Jacob ends up being the one who's in the position of prominence. And now you've got the tables turned around where normally the younger would serve the older, but it's been flipped around and you have the older serving the younger. And this was all promised. This was all stated back in Genesis chapter 25 before it even happened, while the children were still in the womb. Jacob is to be the heir. He's the child of promise. So you have the question, is it going to be Ishmael or Isaac? And then is it going to be Esau or Jacob? But there's an objection that gets raised at this point. 
sometimes. And that's the question of, is, is Paul talking about national or personal election? Is he talking about national or personal election? And the reason I say that is because the quotation that we have here in our passage, verse 13, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. This comes from Malachi. This is not a direct quotation from Genesis. This comes from Malachi. And in Malachi, this is a discussion not of individuals. He's using the names Esau and Jacob, but he's referring to the nations of Edom and Israel. And so those nations, Edom and Israel, were named after and sometimes referred to as their first fathers, Esau, which became Edom, and Jacob, which became Israel. And so if, by quoting from this place from Malachi, if Paul really is intending to talk about national election, national blessing, if that's what he's talking about here, then it would be wrong for us to make application to personal election, personal blessing. That's the the question. That's the objection. Well, here's my answer to that objection. Malachi does indeed refer to the nations. And he does so by looking all the way back and, as it were, putting words into God's mouth. Back at the point of what happened when the twins were still in the womb. But when Paul quotes from Malachi, what does he intend? What does the apostle intend to accomplish by quoting from Malachi? Well, I, I submit to you that he intends to discuss individual, personal election, not national election. Why do I say that? Well, if you look at the context back in Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 9, you see what is going on in our passage. We, we started, when we did the overview of Romans chapter 9, back in verse 28 of chapter 8. And I did that on purpose, not just so I could do more verses, but so we could get the lay of the land of what's going on. And, and back in 8:28 and 29 and 30, he was talking about individual salvation. He was talking about personal salvation and how that comes about. And then he was, from that point on, from 31 and following the, that last really powerful paragraph of chapter 8, he's talking about the security we personally have in our personal salvation. That because of what Christ has done on our behalf, because of what He's accomplished, we are secure personally. There's no mention. There's no discussion of nations. He's not talking about the nations there. He's talking about Christians. And then He gets to the beginning of chapter 9 and verse 1. And what is He talking about there? He's not talking about Israel, the nation. He's concerned about them, the Israelites. He's concerned about the individual's who make up the nation. In fact, the individuals who make up all nations. He's talking about individual salvation. And so by the time you get to our passage here, you can see that he's continuing to talk about individual personal salvation and nothing to do with nations. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. And the person who wants to argue that, no, in fact, he's talking about nations and therefore this chapter has nothing to do with personal election. That person has to prove to me and prove to you and demonstrate from this passage where 
Paul shifted gears between talking about individual salvation and national salvation or national election. And I submit to you, it's nowhere in there. He's speaking in the plural throughout. He's talking about people, not talking about a group. And so that objection will be made, but but it falls flat. He's talking about individuals all the way through. He's talking here about individual election. He's talking about what God does when he calls a person to himself. He's talking about what it means to be a child of the flesh versus a child of promise. And all of biblical history tells us that God has been electing from the beginning. And so for our final point, I want to hone in on the middle of our paragraph here and look at God's purpose of election. God's purpose of election. We look back at verse 11. I just want to focus here on uh, this central point. He says, though they were not yet born and, and had done nothing, either good or bad, talking about the twins. And this is where we really want to start focusing. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. First of all, it's not because of parentage. It's not because of parentage or pedigree. In the situation of Ishmael and Isaac, you know, you can make an argument that, of course, it wasn't Ishmael. He was, he was uh, you know, essentially the child of an illicit relationship. This is, uh, his, his mom was Egyptian. She, she wasn't um, Abraham's first wife, and when the promise was made, they weren't married. Of course, you, could, you can kind of find a way to see, no, Ishmael doesn't fit. He, he doesn't really fit, and, and Isaac more closely fits. So you might be able to make that argument there with Ishmael and Isaac, but when we come to Esau and Jacob, none of those other factors come into play. They, their parentage was identical. Not, not only do they have the same parents... But they were actually conceived at the same moment. So they are both the product of the exact same union to the exact same parents. Their, their lineage, their pedigree, their parentage is identical. God didn't elect Jacob because of parentage. In Paul's context, the relevant point for them is that God does not elect Jews simply because of their parentage either. The discussion he's having right here, he's saying that's not the way God's election works. That's not the way a person is a child of promise. That's child of the flesh, and that's a different matter. So this election that's made, this choice that is being made here, God's purpose in election happens not because of parentage. And secondly, nor does it happen because of actions, because of works, because of behavior. He says, they were still in the womb. They hadn't done anything good or bad. Though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told. The older will serve the younger. The election was made while they were in the womb, and they had no works of their own. The 
they hadn't done anything either good or bad. They were identical in that sense. And yet God's electing choice, even at that moment, was made clear. Jacob had done nothing to earn God's favor or special attention. He was an infant in the womb. Nor had Esau done anything to earn God's ire. He was an infant in the womb. The choice was made, Paul says, not because of works. The choice was not made because of their works either at that time, which of course they had none because they were still in the womb, nor of any works that would come at a future time. The choice was made, Paul says, not because of works. Paul very clearly states here that the election was made not because of works, but he continues, it was because of him who calls. Election is according to God's own purposes. We can look back now from the advantage of being in the New Testament era and a couple of centuries or a couple of millennia have even passed since the closing of the New Testament, we can look back from our perspective and we can sort of see what God was doing. We can see God putting together a people and Him forming a nation and all that He was doing to bring about the Messiah and all that happens. We can look back and we can see God working. And even what Paul is going to describe for us in Romans chapter 11, Paul is going to put the picture together in a larger way in regard to Jew and Gentile alike and how God has been working the interplay between the election of the Jews and, 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 the, and, and the exclusion of the Gentiles and then the hardening of the Jews and the inclusion of the, uh, of the Gentiles, all of that. He's, he's going to explain how all of that works together. He's going to give us the big picture of the whole thing. So there is a sense in which looking back from the future, you can see sometimes what God is accomplishing. But not always. Not always. Sometimes you still wonder, I don't know why, He made this choice and not that choice. And certainly in our own lives, when we think about our own situations or we think about those around us who are Christians or are not Christians, it's impossible for us to make sense of it in terms of, I don't see why this guy was... Was, was, got saved and this guy didn't. I don't, I don't see why. We just can't see why. Sometimes it's the worst possible person and God redeems them. And sometimes you have a person who, humanly speaking, seems like an angel. And they end up not redeemed. So how is it? How are we to understand that? Well, for now, we have to trust Him to do what He has said He will do. We have to trust Him to be who He has presented Himself to be in Scripture. Even in those circumstances when we can't see. Who does He present Himself to be in Scripture? Well, he's just, and he's holy, and he's perfect, and he's patient, and he's loving, and he's all-wise, and he's the creator, and he's the sustainer. And as the sovereign God, this is... This is what he says. Paul's going to quote this in the next paragraph. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. 
He is the sovereign one who is above all. And he is the mercy giving God. There are two basic responses that, uh, that we can have to this teaching. There, there might be others. There are two basic ones. The first one is a sense of anger or frustration or helplessness. That someone would dare say that God alone is in control of our salvation from beginning to end. And it's, it's not us. Anger and frustration helplessness that comes with that but there's a second response and that second response is a humble recognition that he is after all God and sovereign over all things and him being sovereignly in control even over something as important to us as salvation is first of all what the Bible teaches and second of all it's a very good thing how we respond to what Paul is saying here should serve for us as a window into our hearts. God has always been an electing God. And Paul covered just some of the history here for us, and we could extend this, and we could, we could preach for six months on God's electing work throughout Scripture. We've seen that. When he chose Abraham to receive promises and blessings, he was electing. He was electing Abraham. And he did not give his revelation and his saving promises and his covenant blessings to other men. He gave them to Abraham. He selected him. And he did so for his own purposes. And when God chose Isaac to be the heir, he was choosing that Ishmael would not be the heir. God made that electing choice. The history of God's redeeming work did not pass through Ishmael, but it passed through Isaac alone. And when God chose Jacob to be the heir, that meant that Esau did not receive that inheritance. God has been an electing God from the beginning and from the beginning of the nation of Israel. And Paul applies that in relation to personal, individual election and salvation, even now here in Romans chapter 9. God's sovereign election is evident everywhere in the Old Testament, and the pattern continues into the New Testament. And I submit to you this morning that if, if we get offended that God doesn't elect or doesn't save everyone, we need to remember a couple of things in our closing moments this morning. First, we need to remember just how horribly offensive our sin is to God. It's evil. And it means that we deserve nothing but God's righteous judgment. God would be right to dole that out to us. He would be right if we received that. So we need to remember our sin before a holy God. And secondly, we need to remember that God is absolutely free. He himself is absolutely free. He cannot be bound by another person. He cannot be bound by another standard, by any circumstance, or by any other being. 
God is free. He is the God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He is the one who sustains those things. He was and He will always be free. And thirdly, this perfect and righteous, self-existent and free God chooses to condescend, to come down to us, to communicate Himself to us, even to wretched sinners like you and me who deserve His judgment, who deserve His wrath. And He communicates Himself to us. He comes down to us in this way. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And Paul has told us at the end of chapter 8, he did not spare his own son. He didn't just come down and give some general form of mercy like here, enjoy the sunshine for a while or have a nice family. He gave his own son and he sent him to redeem offensive sinners like you and me. And so this God who is sovereign, who is the electing God, shows mercy in places where mercy is not deserved. And that's to you and to me. So we've looked at a difficult passage and there's a lot to chew on in there. I want us to go away with that thought in mind of how God communicates Himself in verse 15 when He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He is the mercying God. He is the mercy-giving God. He is God and He is sovereign over all things and He would have every right to destroy us and squash us flat because of our sin. And instead, He condescends and He gives mercy. Let's pray together. Father, this is a heavy passage. This is a passage that goes right into the heart of who we are in our own uh, salvation, our own relationship to you and how we can be made right to you, right before you, how we can be brought into your family. Father, we see that ultimately this is your work. If you did not accomplish it, it would not be accomplished. If you did not accomplish it on your own, it would not be accomplished. Father, we, we are humbled before you. We are humbled before our Creator who is holy and righteous, whose standard is perfection, who deserves our worship and our praise and our obedience and our lives who is all-powerful. And yet from you we receive mercy. Father, we are humbled before you. And Father, I pray that that you would humble more before you, that those who don't know you who have continued to resist you, stiff-arm you, reject you, deny you, 
pray that you would overcome that and you would draw them to yourself, that you would humble them even this morning, that they would be in awe, that they get to draw another breath and that that is purely by the mercy of God. And I pray that you would pour out your saving mercy on them as well. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your word that teaches us these things. We would not have come up with them out of our head. But you speak to us in your word. And so I pray as we go out that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we would be humbled before you, that we would rejoice to know you, and we would take this message of salvation, this gospel of Christ, to many people around us, that they likewise might be humbled and might find themselves at peace with you by faith in Christ. So, Father, we ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I release you, I want to remind you, first of all, about the fundraiser that's going to be happening, the car wash. And then second of all, we're going to have a family up here to pray with you, to bring uh, your requests uh, before God uh, together with you. And so I would encourage you to do that. Before you get up, these words from 1 Timothy. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you all, and you are dismissed.